1: From our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Hi, I'm Brad Bannon, the
0: host of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm a columnist uh, for The uh, Messenger in Washington, D.C., a national democratic strategist, and a political analyst for news radio KNX in Los Angeles. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for aggressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. Mondays on Deadline DC, I talk to the people and players behind the politics and policies that drive our great nation forward. Uh, as always, uh, our, we have our exec- my intrepid executive producer, Mark Imaldi, with us. Uh, who make who's uh, makes sure the trains run on time and the show stays online. This week on Deadline DC, we have two great guests. In the first half hour, our guest is Paul Lisnick, legal and political analyst for WGN-TV in Chicago. Then in the second half hour, Kimberly Scott, the publisher of DemList, uh, joins us to discuss the uh, and preview uh, next Tuesday's elections that local elections in Virginia, Missouri, and Kentucky that will have a national impact. Uh, but before we get to our first guest, uh, let's play this clip, uh, which is former President Trump uh, talking about Mark Meadows, who just turned, uh, uh, who just uh, volunteered as a witness to the federal government in a January 6th case after receiving a partial plea deal. Is going to take a plea deal. You, will take a plea deal? Because I've spoken to Mark Meadows uh, many, many times over the years, and Uh, He strongly believed the election was rigged. Now, of course, you know, deranged Jack Smith and the prosecutors, that go after somebody for years, and they say, look, here's the story. Uh, We'll give you nothing. We'll erect a statue to you, or you're going to go to jail for 10 years for having done nothing wrong. Uh, So, you know, a lot of people have to make that decision. Some people would never make that decision. Other people would. But uh, Mark Meadows always felt it was rigged. The whole thing was rigged. It was rigged. And it was stolen. That was uh, former President Trump talking about his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, uh, who uh, has uh, become a witness for the federal government in prosecuting the uh, January 6th insurrectionist case against Donald Trump. Our guest in this half hour is Paul Lisnick, who is a legal and political analyst for WGN TV in Chicago. He also hosts uh on Sunday morning uh the his a show, uh Politics Today, uh which you can see in Chicago and on on websites everywhere uh at uh, nine AM Chicago time where he talks about we well, talks from polit- national uh state. Illinois and see Chicago political figures. He also, in his spare time, and I don't know where he gets his spare time, writes books. The two most recent books are Assume Guilt and Assume Treason. Paul, welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Always a pleasure to be with you, my friend. Let's start with uh, Mark Meadows since we uh, played the clip. I think in the last couple of weeks, Uh, The big news in the uh, Trump legal universe is uh, people who worked with him in the past, uh, lawyers and his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, uh, have uh, become witnesses uh, for prosecutors uh, in Fulton County, Georgia, and the federal prosecutor uh, investigating the January 6th case. Uh, and uh, what kind of impact could those turn witnesses uh, have on Donald Trump's legal jeopardy?
2: You know, Brad, there's so many cases going on, it can get confusing. So let me try and isolate Meadows uh, in this okay. mix. First of all, in Georgia, he's been indicted. And the deal that has been referenced here has nothing to do with Georgia. Whether he's talking to Georgia prosecutor Fawny Willis, we don't know, I'm gonna guess he is. And that's because in the Jack Smith, January 6th case in DC, we have learned uh, through ABC News reporting that there is a, a deal struck with him in which he's going to get immunity. We do not know what kind of immunity. it can, There's different kinds. Uh, it could be something called use immunity, which is sort of a queen for a day thing, which means they told him, come in and talk to us, and we won't use anything against you that you tell us when you come in and talk to us. But there's other kinds of immunity as well, and, uh, and, and the bottom line is gonna be this. Uh, we'll eventually find out, but I think Mark Meadows has to have some skin in the game because first of all, he wrote a book in which basically reverses everything that he's been telling the prosecutors from what we understand. So the question he's going to get on cross examination is, were you lying in the book or were you lying to the prosecutors? His answer is going to be, I lied in the book. Um, But of course it's still messy. So I think, that any kind of true deal with him is going to have to require him to have some kind of uh, openness to jail time. Because otherwise, if if he gets to walk with no jail time, then hey, sure, he's lying now. He told the truth in the book and he's doing this to avoid prison. Uh, So I think he's gotta have skin in the game. Secondly, just so people understand, prosecutors may choose not to put him on the stand at all. They just, he's met with them several times. They might just be using everything he's giving them to help them shore up their cases in a bunch of other different areas. and. actually never put him on the stand. All of that remains to be seen, but hopefully that clears up for a bit, a little bit for people, the role he is currently playing.
0: Now, it seems to me the discrepancies you mentioned between his book and his testimony to the special federal prosecutor, uh, that really would damage his credibility in a trial. I can see uh, Trump's lawyers going after that. Uh, that's a pretty uh, wide hole to drive a truck through.
2: That's why I say he's got to have skin in the game, because Trump's lawyers will be ready to to go after him and say, well, so you're telling us your whole book was a lie. But meanwhile, you have a deal with the prosecutors, don't you? You're not going to see a day in prison, are you? They can't put him on in that scenario because there isn't a juror in the world who wouldn't believe that that was that we'd all take that deal. So that's why I think they have to be able to, to have him agree that he is subject to spending time in prison. He'd have to be able to take the stand and say, I have been made no promises about prison time. I have been told that by cooperating, things may go easier for me, but there are no guarantees in this. And I do face up to 10 years, 15, whatever it is in prison.
0: Now, lack uh, the, the trial that's going on now is the uh, fraud uh, suit that the uh, New York State has brought against the Trump organization. Uh, well, questions about that sort of made news late last week when the uh, prosecutor asked a judge for his daughter, uh, Ivanka Trump uh, uh, to testify. And uh, the judge said she would have to testify and uh, the president was very upset about this. Uh, is she closely linked enough to the Trump organization uh, to be in standing uh, to testify?
2: Yeah, so what happened was Ivanka would be a party to this, by the way, let's clarify, this is not a criminal lawsuit, no one's going to jail for what is happening in New York right now, it's all about money and potentially shutting down the Trump Organization, which in many ways is a death sentence from a business perspective. Ivanka Trump was involved in a lot of the things that Eric and Don Jr. were doing, however, she apparently didn't do it anytime after 2016 and the statute ran, so they couldn't put her in the case, but that doesn't mean they can't call and they are. So what uh, judge and did was he said, I'm denying your request to not appear. You're going to have to appear, but I'm going to give you until Wednesday, which is two days from now to file an appeal. So what's going to happen earlier in the case, we're going to hear this week. This week is going to be testimony from Don Jr. and from Eric. And then ultimately, unless there's an appeal that delays things, uh, Ivanka, they will all take the stand and talk about what they did and what they know. Apparently, Ivanka's test mode seems to be I didn't do any of this stuff, other people did. Well, other equals brother in this case. So I'm sure she doesn't want to take the stand. And then finally, Donald Trump himself is scheduled to take the stand next week on November 6th. So a couple of really interesting weeks coming up in that case. But again, it's about money. It's not about prison. You know, one thing I want to ask you about before
0: we go take our short break for our radio listeners is uh, Trump's been attending this trial Uh and I'm kind of curious why. I gather he doesn't have to be there, but he is. He has showed up, uh, and he sparred with the judge. Uh, why is he uh, attending these sessions?
2: Well, look. I- I, because, look, his business is everything to him. He didn't show up when it was the Eugene Carroll case at all, right? And part two of that is coming in, in in January. So he doesn't care about that. But this is his business. This is his lifeblood. This matters to him. So that's why he was there for the first days of the trial. And he also showed up when Michael Cohn testified for all the reasons I think your your listeners and viewers would know, uh, which is the personal animosity between those two. But those are the primary days we've seen him. This, this matters to him. This can shut down his entire business operation, and that's why he Showing up
0: Okay, we're going to take a short break now To let our uh, radio listeners Have a little vacation Uh, We're going to continue on With our guest Paul Lisnick uh, With our viewers on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook So we'll be right back After this very quick break
1: All right, uh, we're going to welcome Paul back here in just a moment I think we lost Brad Just uh, give us a moment here Yep, we're going to get Brad back on Just coming back in from our break. All right. Paul, uh, this is Mark Ramaldi, our producer. I'm just going to hop in for a minute here. And I do want to follow up on one of the topics that Brad was asking you about, Paul, which initially was the insurrection case. Obviously, that has made a lot of news. But we also had some news come out, I believe, Uh, Late last night um, regarding a gag order that was in question regarding the former president and he had appealed the decision and that there has been a ruling from the judge in the meantime. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that, Paul?
2: Sure, so once again, in Trump world, there's lots of gag orders to be talking about, and then we have two of them. So there is a gag order in New York, just so people understand, there's one in New York from Judge N'Goran in which he has told the former president, you cannot disparage my clerk, you cannot disparage uh, witnesses, certain people involved in that. That's something, again, in a civil case, that Trump violated once was hit with a $5,000 penalty he violated it again when Michael Cohn was on the stand the judge actually ordered Trump to take the stand and put him under oath a very unusual moment to happen but when he asked the former president who are you referring to when you said 'they're that they're um, you, you know not not uh, uh not doing what they're supposed to be doing that they're that they're biased in all, that. In all uh, that, did you mean my clerk or did you mean Michael Cohn? And Trump responded, oh, I meant Michael Cohn. The judge said, I don't buy that, I don't believe it, now you're fined $10,000 and it's gonna get worse. But the, the one you're talking about, uh, Mark, in terms of the gag order comes from Judge Chutkin in Washington, D.C., where again, a similar limited order that says you can't disparage witnesses, you can't disparage the prosecutor and other people. And then Trump did appeal it, Judge Chutkin put it on hold, she stayed it, saying, all right, let's let this appeal play out for a while, I'll put it on hold. Well, Trump went right back to attacking uh, Jack Smith and going after others. So Smith went in and said to the judge, please put that gag order back in place because he's not even following the rules while you've stated. Judge Chutkin, as you noted last night, said gag order back in place. So now Trump today, I think, is complaining about the fact that his freedom of speech is being interfered. The bottom line is he's just not cooperating with any of these gag orders, Judge Gordon in New York may have sent a message to Judge Chutkin, I don't mean an actual message, but by showing that he will enforce his order with, with financial fines, Judge Chutkin has told us in the past that the way she is likely to impact this violations of her gag order is by moving the trial up. Well, she's already March 4th, so that's not gonna be, not a lot of room to move it up, but she could bring it up a week or two weeks, something like that, so that's what we're playing with, that's what she did last night, and perhaps that expedites the appeal to get an answer, sooner than later.
1: Thank you, Paul. I'll hand Uh, it back off to Brad here. Go ahead, Brad.
2: uh, Paul, let me ask you this. We've
0: been uh, testing you as a legal analyst. Let me ask you to put your political analyst hat on. Uh, If you look at the national polls, uh, despite uh, Donald Trump's legal problems and tribulations, uh, he is running even or even a little bit ahead of Joe Biden in the national polls. And, you know, my question, you know, this perplexes me greatly. Uh, Why do you think he has such, you know, he's able to go toe to toe with Joe Biden, uh, despite the fact that he's in more legal problems than we can even talk about in this half hour segment?
2: Well, for one reason, when you look at polls of Republicans, 60% of Republicans already believe that Joe Biden is not a legitimately elected president. So you have a significant number and that's what props Trump up. You also have significant numbers that believe that the DOJ has been weaponized. They're going after Trump to stop him from winning. This is a message he's been sending out and his, his allies have been sending out. And it, it has certainly resonated with and been ingrained by um, the, the many Republicans and certainly the MAGA base is moving nowhere. So you see his numbers steady or growing every time he gets an additional legal trouble. Your question is why is he beating or at least equal with 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 Joe Biden? The answer there is because Uh, there is such concern even on the Democratic side about Biden's age. And you know, you do look at Biden even in these last six months or so, and I think a lot of people, they see the aging, they see the slowdown, Um, but at the same time, he's also making sharp decisions and seems to be handling Israel well. But look at polls and what people think of how they think Biden's handling the economy. And even though economic numbers are good and people will say things are getting better, but they don't give him credit for it. So it's those two factors, Brad, the fact that Republicans and some independents believe that Biden isn't legitimate legitimately there in the first place and everybody's going after Trump. And the Democrats' deep concern as to whether Biden can handle another term keeps that race as close as it is. And it will never uh, break apart with, I think, with Joe Biden winning. I think it's it's very risky for the Democrats as they move forward. And on the Trump side, of course, they have just a very different plate of problems that they have to address. Okay, let
0: me ask you one more question, Paul. We have a couple minutes left. Uh, All these trials, the Trump trials that are going on now and will go on in the future, where do you think Trump faces the greatest legal jeopardy?
2: That's an interesting question because it has to do with timing. That is to say, in the Mar-a-Lago case, the documents case in Florida, He gets convicted for that. There's little question about that, except he has a judge, Aileen Cannon, who appears to be in his corner and is doing everything she can to delay and hold things off. So do we get a verdict in that case before the election? I doubt it. If and when there is one, I think that that verdict would be guilty. In the uh, DC case with Judge Chutkin, that case is likely to actually happen uh, in time before an election. Um, The problem is this, if Trump wins, the problem for, for people who look at the law, the problem is that if Trump wins, a new attorney general will come in and immediately be ordered to drop all federal cases. So everything going on in DC, anything that could even be filed going forward, and in Florida, it all goes away. So the only thing he really faces would be the Georgia case where he's indicted and it's a tri- criminal case. But what would happen there if he's reelected president? The Supreme Court will step in and say he's got to be president. There's nothing you can do. Got to stay these proceedings until he's out of office in four years. Uh, that's what's going to happen. So from a justice perspective, uh, if anybody really wants to see something happen along the lines of uh, guilt and the possibility of penalty tied to that. Nothing happens if he is reelected president. Trump knows that. And that's why you see no stops being pulled with regard to his efforts to get elected.
0: Uh, a couple of these uh, cases will, will go to trial and there'll be testimony uh, before Election Day. Uh, and the question is, is a theory, and I'd like to know if you think it's true or not, that trials with Trump, of people like Mark Meadows and his former lawyers testifying, uh, do you think that might break the straw, that break the camel back or it doesn't matter and people just don't care?
2: I think it depends whether or not they're televised so that people can watch them. Look, Georgia will be televised. And the question is, when does that happen? And is Trump even in the first group of, remember that everybody settled out in that case. It should have started last week. So the question will be, is Trump in the next group and when will that happen? The other interesting thing to keep an eye on is D.C., where Judge Chutkin has basically said to Trump's lawyers, tell me why this trial should not be televised. That's the case that matters. That's the January 6th case. That one's the high stakes game. And Judge Chutkin seems to understand the importance of letting people see it. It'll be interesting if Trump says, no, it should not be televised. Why would he say that? If you're innocent and haven't done anything, you would want the people to see. But it gives him more control when it's not televised so he can talk to the press every day afterwards and give his views of what happened. All
0: right, we're out of time. I want to thank you very much. Our guest in this half hour is Paul Lisnick. Uh, Legal and Political Analyst WGN in Chicago We'll be back with more of Deadline DC Right after these messages Welcome back to Deadline DC With Brad Bannon I'm Brad Bannon uh, in this half hour, our guest will be Kimberly Scott. She is the publisher of DemList. Uh, I'm a faithful reader of Dem Daily, uh, which comes out every weekday, and I hope you will be too. If you want to check it out, you can go to the website, uh, DemList uh, website. So uh, anyway, uh, we're going to talk about politics, uh, campaign, two uh, thousand. 2000- 23 today. Uh, everybody, of course, is focused on the presidential race and the campaigns for the Senate and the House of Representatives uh, in November 2024. Uh, but there are several important races that will be decided uh, eight days from now, eight days from now. Uh, three of them involve stress tests uh, for uh, incumbent governors in one way or another. And we may learn a lot uh, from the results of a few, very few races next year. We may learn whether uh, 2024 is going to be a Democratic or Republican year based on uh, this year's elections. Uh, We may find out next year whether it's going to be a good or bad uh, uh, election cycle uh, for incumbents based on what happens next Tuesday. Uh, We'll also be able to uh, learn something about the position of the Democratic Party in the South, uh, which has been a problem area for the party for a generation now. Uh, But anyway, before we do that, we're going to play this clip from one of the governor's races in Kentucky uh, that will be decided uh, eight days from now. And this is the incumbent governor, uh, a Democrat, Andy Bashir, uh, debating his Republican opponent, uh, Daniel Cameron, uh, about funding for school vultures.
2: But in july on the campaign trail he said this race is about vouchers and you can just ask him directly well let's just ask him directly voucher no. do
3: you support vouchers general cameron look,
2: look I'm, i support what i've always said is i support catching up our kids i'm trying to my plan about is one priority. of those option school vouchers my or scholarship tax credits making sure that we catch the kids up from the shutdown we've seen andy beshear's education plan and it's a plan that shut down our schools for nearly two years. But I you support, would be for school vouchers. No, I would support primarily our public school system. Look, we need to make sure that we expand opportunity that's, and choice. That's three but Tommy asked the question. We need to make sure at the same time, look, more than 90% of our kids are in public schools. Look, parents at home, they want to make sure that their kids are caught up. This governor shut your schools down for nearly two years. We so deserve we a government learning will answer this. the question. Governor they We'll Bashir. Look in a camera and answer the question. I oppose vouchers 100%. They steal money from our public schools and send them to our private schools. The reason he won't answer is he supports vouchers. He has time and time again, but what's concerning is he won't be honest with you and answer a direct question and look in the camera. You deserve a governor that'll do that, whether the answer is pretty or not. Why will or you unpopular. not answer the question? Well,
0: uh, that was a, a segment from a debate between the two candidates for uh, Kentucky governor, Uh, Andy Brashear, who's the incumbent governor, uh, and Daniel Cameron, who's the state attorney general and is running against Brashear for governor. Our guest this half hour is Kimberly Scott, the publisher of DemList. DemList is your go-to guide for the Democratic Party, its politics and policies. Uh, The uh, Twitter site, uh, if you want to Go to Twitter to check out DemList. You can do it at the Dem- DemList or on Facebook uh, at uh, DemList.com. Uh, Kim, uh, welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon.
3: Thank you. Happy World Series okay. week.
0: Okay, uh, let's start with Kentucky since we played the clip. Uh, the governor there, Andy Beshear, uh, is a young Democratic governor. Uh, He has national ambitions. Uh, He could be a presidential candidate in 2028. Uh, He is uh, leading his uh, opponent, uh, Daniel Cameron, uh, and one of education is a big issue there. And as you can see from that clip or hear from that clip, uh, Cameron uh, does not want to say the obvious that he supports school vouchers. And Prashida did a good job of pinning him to the mat uh, for not answering that question. Uh, Kim, what does that race look like?
3: Well, Kentucky is one of three gubernatorials that are up in 2023. Uh, Unfortunately, um, well, Mississippi and then also Louisiana, which unfortunately fell to the Republicans, uh, Republican Jeff Landry on October uh, 9th, I believe it was. But the... uh, the remaining, Kentucky, Mississippi, and what's going on in Virginia are going to be, serve as barometers, as you mentioned, for what we can expect in 2024. Uh, Bashir, son of a former governor himself, uh, is the is running the reddest state with the Democratic governor in the country. and He's also one of the most popular uh, governors in the country. Uh, Cameron, who... Um, the Attorney General, um, is a formidable opponent. Uh, he has um, he has national recognition. He's African-American, his national re- recognition. Um, some negative in the sense that he was uh, associated with Brianna Breonna Taylor race, or not race, excuse me, um, horrific tragedy, uh, where she was killed by police officers mistakenly entering her apartment. Uh, Cameron was in charge of that inquiry and ruled that it was justified by the police. Um, but he's, regardless, considered a darling or up-and-coming star on the Republican Party. He spoke at the National Convention before. Um, he was actually on a short list for apparently a top 20 list for Supreme Court oh, nominees yeah. for yeah. Trump. Uh, so people are watching this closely. Regardless, Bashir is, depending on the poll, six to eight percentage points up from Cameron, but a lot of money is going into the race. <clears throat> it's definitely one to watch.
0: Okay, uh, let's move on and let's talk about the uh, governor's race in uh, Mississippi. Uh, deep south Southern state, uh, the governor there, uh, Kate Reeves is in trouble. Uh, he's facing a strong challenge uh, from uh, uh, a Democrat uh, named Brandon Presley. Could you tell us about that race?
3: For the occasion, I have my Elvis mug. Uh, Brandon is a distant, uh, distant relative of Elvis Presley. Second. Ah. Um, so this is another one um, which high on the barometer scale. And it's also the first hope that Democrats have had in over two decades of actually flipping the governor's mansion in Mississippi. Of uh, The incumbent Tate Reeves is one of, in contrast to Bashir, is one of the most unpopular governors in the country. Uh, he um, has proven record statewide of being elected. He was previously treasurer and lieutenant governor before being elected uh, in 2019, um, but um, he's got some baggage. Uh, he's come under fire for, and this has been a, a focus of Pressless, uh ads as well. Uh, he's been under, high, um, under fire, Tate Reeves has, for uh, using personal funds, taxpayer funds, for his own purposes, for awarding state contracts to some donors. And uh, he's also suffering from association with a major scandal that happened in a under Republican administration, uh, a 77 million welfare fund scandal that happened while Reeves was lieutenant governor, um, which is, as in polling is of concern to exactly 66 percent of the of the electorate when it comes to Reeves. Uh, now Presley is you'll forget the point a rock star candidate. Uh, he is no progressive's dream. He is a uh, moderate populist with some conservative views on uh, gun control, abortion, et cetera. Uh, but he was elected at 23, the youngest mayor in the state's history, um, went on to serve in leadership. And then he was elected to the commissioner, it's the public commissioner uh, for Um, North Mississippi, and he's been reelected three times, the last time without opposition. And so he, um, uh, there's a lot of eyes focused on this. Most significantly, as recently as 10 days ago, polling showed them within one percentage point within the margin of error, with Reeves leaving, leading Presley by just one percentage point. Okay, we're going to go to break now
0: uh, to give our radio listeners uh, a very short break. Uh, But if you're watching us on Twitter, Facebook or YouTube, uh, we are going to continue this interview uh, with uh, Kimberly Scott, the publisher of DemList, a daily recount of the Democratic Party, its politics and policies. We'll be right back right after this very quick break. Welcome back. Our guest in this half hour is Kimberly Scott, the publisher of DemList, which is a daily recounting of the Democratic Party activities, its politics, and and policies. Uh, You can check out DemList on the website at www.demlist.com. Kim, uh, before we went to break, Uh, You were talking about Virginia, so let's talk about that. Before we do that, though, I want to remind our radio listeners uh, that if you'd like to watch us as well as listen to Deadline DC every Monday, uh, you can watch us at twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon. Or on Facebook, uh, you can see us at facebook.com front slash Deadline DC with Brad Bannon front slash videos. Uh, Kim, let's uh, talk about Virginia. Now, the governor there, the Republican governor, uh, Glenn Youngkin, is not on the ballot, uh, but his uh, reputation and legislative agenda is on the line. Uh, tell us what's going on in Virginia this year.
3: He may as well be. Um, you know, Youngkin, an, uh, an upset victory, um, won over Terry McAuliffe in the election, uh, and last year, uh, which was devastating for Virginia, uh, Virginian Democrats, because they uh, had just, just achieved turning the state blue over the course of the last decade. Uh, but there is still some hope of recapturing that Uh the, the significance of Virginia abortion being one of them is the legislature is split. So in the, the state house, Republicans control 52-48, and in the state Senate, Democrats control 22-18. So, who, if either one of those flip, we're going to see uh, significant policy changes. Of, by Youngkin's preference, that would be on education, on abortion, on gun control. Transgender rights are also significant. Some of this comes out of the gubernatorial. But whatever the outcome, that may also determine the steps for uh, Yunkin's future. He has toyed with being a presidential candidate, but has shied away, but not stepped entirely out of the race. Uh, So this will be an important important outcome for him as well. But as it stands now, Virginia voters are split, uh, like so many of these other races, nationally and individually. Um, They polling shows them as a dead heat whether they want Republicans to be in control or Democrats to be in control.
0: Well, let me ask you this, Kim, as you mentioned, abortion is a big issue in Virginia. Uh, Governor Youngkin has called for uh, an abortion ban after 15 weeks of pregnancy. And a lot of Republicans feel 15 a week ban is the magic number. That they can uh, push for a fifteen-week abortion ban, uh, and still live live uh, to tell about it politically. Uh, So, uh, the whether is abortion a big issue in the uh, in the uh, Virginia state legislative races?
3: Absolutely, absolutely, and it is in many of them. There are. I mean, almost all of them. Uh, there are six, probably six state Senate and five state House races um, that um, many of which are resting on this issue. Um, and you've seen that in the ads as well. Uh, it is, I, I know being in D.C., we fall within the media market, Virginia media market. And so I have been inundated by ads all focused around abortion and Republicans' attempts to take it away from, you know, the right to choose to take away from Virginians. And And, Young's position is is very unpopular on the subject of abortion. And that may just be the tipping point for for Democrats to take full control of the legislature again.
0: Okay, let me ask you about uh, another place where abortion is the big issue in Ohio. There's a ballot question. Uh, that uh, that would uh, maintain the right to abortion in in Ohio. Now Ohio is a swing state in presidential elections. Uh, what is that? What is that uh, ballot question all about? Uh,
3: yes, um, it, they used to say, "As goes Ohio, as goes Ohio goes the nation." Uh, but Ohio has trended increasingly read in recent years, Um, but there has been, um, so one of the issues that is on the ballot is a citizen uh, citizen petition um, that was secured by abortion rights groups, um, which basically makes it a constitutional amendment, let's see, um, to guarantee reproductive rights. Now, in in an attempt to thwart that uh, Republicans earlier had put together, had put um, up their own legislative-driven petition, tried to increase the threshold for uh, to pass a constitutional amendment. But that was 60 sound-
0: percent, right?
3: Right. So that was it. Went up to 60 percent, and looking at the, but it was soundly defeated. Um, much like the Kansas, Kansas was last year, uh, which you know, provides some hope. It's also, again, whereas this issue for some people is a single, abortion is a a single issue in their determination for the election. We're dealing with a still more moderate base. And so we are not sure how it's going to affect things in 2024, but this referendum will certainly give us an idea.
0: Okay. Uh, Let me ask you about the national picture, Kim. Uh, Much to my distress, uh if you look at uh national polls that have come out recently um uh, joe biden is locked in a uh, tight race uh with uh donald trump uh despite the former president's legal problems uh despite the uh good economic news now last friday we found out that the national gnp uh had risen uh, increased by about four percent, which was higher than most economists were predicting. And the reality is, and this stresses me a lot, whatever Joe Biden does and whatever happens to Donald Trump, uh, we still have a race where if you look at some polls, it's a dead heat or others where uh, Trump has an advantage. Now, it seems to me the Biden administration has tried to capitalize in the growth in jobs, uh, the growth in the GNP, and other economic improvements, um, but it just doesn't seem to take. Uh, His uh, job rating for handling the economic issues is uh, below 40% and only in the high 30s. If you watch the news at all, uh, there's always news about one Trump trial or another, all sorts of legal jeopardy for the former president. And, you know, Biden seems to be struck. And, you know, my question to you, Kim, is what can Biden do uh, to break through here that he hasn't tried already? It's beginning, you know, I'm beginning to get very nervous about it.
3: Yes, I know. Um, What we can hope for, should it still go in this direction, is the kind of split that we saw in the 2020 elections, where regardless of how Biden was doing or last year, regardless of how Biden was doing, um, the people still supported Democrats based on the issues. Uh, and it's so frustrating because the man has will go down as having one of the most successful legislative uh, agendas in history of accomplishments. really he is I mean unemployment is at under four percent. That is a historic historic rate. but it's not the messaging is not connecting with the public. Uh, there are so many out there that are, you know, as long as the inflation cuts into their purchasing power, then this is what they're taught, you know, regardless of, it's how they're being affected now, regardless of what the long-term effects of, you know, build back better, um, bipartisan infrastructure, chips, all of those, it still comes down to, you know, bread and butter. And It is just not resonating with the public, and I don't know if that is really the messaging from the campaign, that it's not as aggressive enough. I would certainly like to see it more so, Uh, but then their concerns about age.
0: Well, we're going to have to leave it there, Kim, because unfortunately we're out of time. Um, our guest in this half hour was uh, Kimberly Scott, the publisher of Demlist. And again, the website is www.demlist.com. I want to thank our guest in the first half hour, Paul Lisnick, uh, the legal and political analyst, WGN-TV in Chicago, and of course, our ex- intrepid executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. Stay strong and stand tall in these troubled and turbulent times. We'll be back soon with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Miss the show at your own peril.